Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up-and-coming brands, anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the brand manager, Cameron Larson of Northwest Alpine. Cameron, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Hey, Josh. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Awesome. All right. So Northwest Alpine, how would you best describe your brand to someone who's never heard of your business before? Yeah. You know, Northwest Alpine kind of like boils down to like three uh, kind of uh, core traits. Uh, if it was back in 1980s talk, it'd be called the triple bottom line. But uh, we make technical apparel uh, for women and men, climbers, mountaineers, ice climbers, mountain runners, kind of what we call pursuits uh, for any alpine environment. And uh, we all make it responsibly. We're really proud to own our own factory here in Oregon and uh, pay a living responsible wage to all of our employees. That's really awesome. You're one of the few brands that's really uh, focusing on making your own gear in-house in the U.S. Walk me through sort of the origin story. Now, I know you've been with uh, Northwest Alpine for a couple of years now, but and the business started in 2010, but uh, I'd love for you just to kind of walk, walk through the inception of, of the brand. Yeah, so it's 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 a really great story, and I appreciate it for all this kind of uh, scary simplicity uh, as it kind of evolves. Um, the founder was a gentleman by the name of Bill William Amos, um, who was living in Portland, Oregon uh, at the time. Uh, Bill was kind of well known and kind of the national like climbing scene, kind of everything from the ice climbing to, you know, doing a lot of first ascents uh, all throughout mainly the Pacific Northwest from his early college days in Colorado, kind of everything in between. Um, but after kind of achieving a teaching degree, uh, Bill, during the recession years, 2008 to 2012, uh, was kind of seeing and kind of getting a little bit fed up with that the outdoor apparel industry had largely gone in several different directions. One, uh, overwhelmingly, if you look at any sort of brand catalog, you're looking at about, you know, all these climbing heritage brands uh, were producing really wonderful things, but we're definitely geared towards the lifestyle industry. Uh, nothing wrong with that, with the exception of the fact we were losing a lot of, you know, uh, really features that were kind of being robbed away from climbers, uh, you know, make sure it was just fashion-esque enough to kind of sell on a, on a rack at a retail store. Uh, and two, the other one is uh, it was, you know, middle of the recession. Oregon itself was taking a huge loss. Um, 
in terms of uh, employment numbers, we're down at like 10% unemployment rate, uh, more in certain areas of the state. And at this point, to find a quality made uh, garment that was uh, ethically made, responsibly, transparently made, there were brands that were just starting to you know pursue it. But in terms of having it done in the U.S., it was just not there. So uh, Bill, at that point, decided to kind of shift gears, see what kind of capital he could put together and came up with uh, one item, which was uh, our most famous, what we call our black spider hoodie, which is named after a climbing route on our namesake mountain, Mount Hood here in Oregon, and uh, was able to have it made right here in the state of Oregon and small batch production kind of hit the market quietly on a Squarespace website. And next thing you know, uh, those sold out quickly. And then as the brand grew, we grew from a few SKUs. And, and then next thing you know, it's just hard to keep up at one point. Problem with the development, you know, of uh, trying to source, you know, goods that are made in the United States is you're usually working with sew or sew shops or, you know, smaller factories are willing to take you on or very we'll call small minimums. And they might be at one factory in Idaho, one in Washington, Oregon, California, maybe Massachusetts. And it comes a little bit unsustainable to have so many different, you know, little factories. You're sending materials here, quantities there, where's the status of this finished good there. And then uh, about five and a half years ago, uh, decided to start their very own factory uh, in a community called Newburger, Oregon, which is just about 22 miles outside of uh, the capital, uh, Salem, and just south of the city of Portland. But uh, fast forward, we're from two sewers, taking it on himself. Um, and then five years later, we're at nearly 40 sewers, and we just moved to a new factory, 20,000-square-foot factory here in the capital, Salem, Oregon. That's pretty incredible, the fact that you that you have a, a facility with 40 people working on making predominantly stuff for Northwest Alpine. What would you really attribute the growth to over that 10-year period to be able to employ that many people making products in the States? Yeah, uh, great question because it's it's simply not easy. It sounds easy when I give it like a three minute, uh, quick accelerated story, but you know every other week it's still trying to like make ends meet and keep people gainfully employed and doing what it takes. Uh, admittedly, has been largely organic. Um, I would say probably if you look at the broad scope, the demand is there. People do really with the they're shopping around do end up like kind of looking at a tag. And now that we've seen such tragedies and, you know, like, uh, you know, in factory collapses and fires and, uh, and everyone's kind of consciously ethical of what's happening abroad, uh, with our material sourcing and, you know, the now even more so with, uh, the, you know, climate change as being on the top of everyone's kind of general agenda in a lot of ways. Um, that people would start Googling and putting into their search engines like USA made apparel, outdoor apparel, technical apparel. And uh, so just to put in a few key SEO searches kind of really drums up a lot of organic search. Uh, I also have to attribute a lot of our growth is in the outside market of um, I'm thankful for our big distributor in Japan. We're really lucky to have a partnership. Uh, it's kind of this like crazy cult uh, love for like things made in the United States in Japan. They love small niche badge products there. So I have a story to tell. The, the American flag on a premium made product from the U.S. still holds and rings really strongly in a lot of markets outside the U.S. And uh, that's been a big one at that. That's interesting. So uh, I assume there's a pretty big, or I guess it's a pretty even split between direct to consumer and retail since you work with a few distributors. 
That's correct. You know, actually, uh, we work with one big uh, ex, uh, external distributor. It's going to be one in Japan. We do overwhelming amount of uh, just direct to consumer online. That's really where most of our brand presence continues to be from. And then we're really lucky to have developed a few really strong strategic brick and mortar retailers, about a dozen or so uh, across the continental United States. That's so interesting. Now, let's talk about the actual products that you guys make and running a facility of 40 people that makes a pretty robust line for Northwest Alpine. What has that process been like and what really differentiates other than the fact that obviously the products are made here in the U.S., but really what makes them stand out from other sort of technical apparel um, products? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, definitely it's uh, truth is in the details. Uh, one of my favorite products right now is we're doing some pre-sales on a jacket called uh, our Alpha Hoodie. Uh, it's an insulated jacket. It's a PolarTech uh, Alpha 80 uh, insulation uh, using a really awesome kind of breathable but DWR finished uh, shell material. And it's just a hooded full zip insulating jacket and to the kind of the naked eye kind of just looks like such. Um, if you were to pull it off, uh, you know, it's coming from a quote outdoor climbing brand. Uh, if you end up like pulling off the shelf and you start seeing the details, what really makes it coming from a brand that still sticks by making sure that all the technical features are still there for our climbers, uh, which are a little bit, you know, unseen these days. Uh, three key elements on it is like a climber's cut. You know, there, nothing's been cut short. A little longer body, a little long, longer tail, aren't longer sleeves. So make sure that uh, you get nice, uh, no wiggle out from your climbing harness. Long sleeves, so you're never getting that drawback from your arm extensions. Uh, we have these awesome uh, stretchy under panels underneath both both sleeves. Um, it's just an added feature, a lot of extra work for us to do that you won't normally find. So when you're doing those, reaching your ice tool out and uh, getting that next kind of grab, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're getting this, you know, nice extension, uh, without having like the restriction of just the stitch construction. And then the other fun one is little, uh, thummies. They're retractable. Um, they're also stretchy little gauntlets that hide in the cuff of the jacket and then you can pull them out and then tuck them back in as you need to. Or if you just really want, the jacket just looks absolutely great going out and grabbing a beer uh, with your friends at the local pub. So great piece overall. What's really even better about it, it's like premium materials. We've got Alpha 80 insulation. Uh, it's all domestically made, you know, responsible. You know, all those wages go to our employees. But the great thing is because we own our own factory, we get to have a more of a control on the price point and we can still put it out at a very we see affordable rate something that might be even be 10 to 15 20 percent less than an offshore product yeah that's actually something that i noticed when i was original when i originally found you guys is that i didn't even realize it was domestically made because the price is so competitive with really anyone out there and then when i did figure that out i was like wait a minute <laughs> it is <laughs> you know i kind of had like a double take right. Yeah, which yeah, still surprises us for sure, no doubt about it. And I guess being like more like obviously you do have your retail partnerships, but having the direct to consumer model makes that a little bit easier, right? Just because you you have better margins to operate with. It does. It really helps out when we stay focused in um, such a, a kind of a niche market within the outdoor behemoth. 
uh, you know, being able to kind of build up those coffers, uh, keeps our employees going during kind of what we call like the drier season, which is going to be like June through, you know, this, uh, July, August, early September, where people aren't necessarily thinking about those higher ticket items, those, uh, you know, tech leggings, those insulated pieces, et cetera. And, you know, the you know, tech t-shirts can only really go so far those months. So that really does help keeping that cyclical year round, keeping the factory going, keep our employees going and uh, nice and comfortable. Definitely. Um, and since you guys are one of the few brands that do make your products sort of in-house and domestically, how do you keep sustainability sort of front and center, especially being an outdoor focused brand? Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question that we can always continue to do better at. Yeah, just saying that it's made here doesn't always doesn't convey every single hour, every day. Where at some point we have to maintain everything that we do is you know kept in line with the broad you know in terms of sustainability. Um, we like to think that you know our a lot of our materials are domestic or North American for that matter. So the transit times for that you know production that material to our factory is not going from like a material from a ship from Taiwan, uh, ending up at a port in Long Beach, California, going up to a distributor in BC and then reshipped down to us. So there's the fuel, you know, um, carbon footprint that comes from all the material. And you can think that a lot of the garments for a single t-shirt of their studies, anyone can Google it. It's everywhere, uh, can end up in, one country of origin, but when you add in the materials, the thread, the notions, the trims, et cetera, you know, one hoodie can end up in four origin source of four to five, six different countries that has traveled literally tens of thousands of miles between each of them to end to the consumer. So for us, by reducing, but we're still sourcing high quality material, uh, having it made and then redistributed within our, generally our marketplace, uh, for us, it's majority North America, then, you know, that in itself inherently is, um, um, you know, kind of a, one of the biggest, uh, pillars for us to promote sustainability. We also don't want to kind of throw out to everyone that, you know, the value in the product is, you know, um, that it's fully sustainable. We, we have a page, you know, we talk about our efficacy and our ethos on our webpage and a few pictures of the factory. And now that we moved into a new factory, that's, uh, much prettier to photograph. We look forward to redeveloping that page right now for everyone to see and see the faces of the employees working, uh, see the great work environment that everyone has made, uh, and the benefits and, you know, the, the compensation that everyone receives here. So there's all these types of things. And now that a lot of our material providers, uh, have been working actively in the past two or three or four years to develop greener, more sustainable materials. Those are now coming online and, and now becoming available to us. And now we're looking at materials for 2020 and 21 uh, that are just years beyond, you know, fiber source. And we're looking at recycle content. Uh, we're looking at, you know, technology from like Polar Tech is this great material in which it's reducing the fiber loss through washing by capturing it into this kind of grid system. So we're looking at all these things and implementing all these better materials into our product, which was, we think is already driving is a very sustainable product into the future. So we're pretty proud and we'll continue to share those stories along the way. That's awesome. Now I got to ask you, so you, you, you have a team of 40 in the factory sort of running and making the products, but it's really just you and Bill sort of running the business, right? 
Yeah, that's correct. You know, one of the things that keeps us going is the fact we continue to reinvest in the factory, reinvest in our machines and uh, reinvest into our employees. Um, you know, if we can just do a little, a little extra and we can continue to be intimate with our customers, you'll see my our names on the emails. You'll continue to see us on social media. Uh, we're here. We're on the factory floor. We'll see us on our Instagram live story, like showing a new machine we just bought or something really cool, repairing a really cool old one uh, and putting it back to life, which is another part of that sustainability story. And if we can just squeeze more of that and we can take all the, you know, the sales that come in and continue to put that back to our employees and back into expanding the factory and making things more energy efficient and things like that, we'll continue to do so. That's really awesome. Now, it has the have, has the growth since 2010 kind of been a very steady uh, process or have there been a few years where it's really jumped and is there really anything that you would attribute that to? Yeah, I would like to say probably safe and steady has probably been the best way if I were to sum it up in just a sentence. Uh, and that's really helped in keeping like developing really intimate relationships with every single one of our customers, ones that we can recognize faces and names when we go out to ice climbing festival, rock climbing festivals, when, we, when we're out and doing open houses here at our factory, et cetera. And we're really happy to develop these lifelong uh, customers that know that, you know, I really am proud of our lifetime guarantee and our product because those products can come back from a customer we might or probably know and it can get repaired by the same employee who made that same jacket four years ago or those pants got repaired from three years ago and then we can get that right back in the bag and back to the customer uh so we like to say that's been a big part of it it's hard to compete as a non-heritage brand you look at the big stalwarts uh that run kind of the climbing industry they have histories that are 30, 40, even longer now. Uh, we don't. We're, we're going to have our 10 year anniversary next year. And uh, so we're still trying to, you know, scale up accordingly. We're not trying to take from anyone's uh, piece of the pie, but just grow our own little niche in this great community. That's really interesting. And you mentioned a little bit sort of like the uh, uh, way in which you stand behind your product with like repairing it. I'd love for you to kind of shed some light on sort of your process of like handling um, sort of any uh, breakage or just really just working with customers on sort of standing behind the products that you guys make. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. It's, it's interesting because um, uh, in, in kind of what I had said before, uh, because we work in climbing, I mean, we're talking of all like the outdoor thing, you know, sports, you know, disciplines, uh, all the kind of different flavors of climbing really bash and thrash every single garment up, you know, you put it on screen, uh, you know, from a pitch on an ice climb. I mean, we, we literally see it all. If not, we've experienced it ourselves, uh, internally, uh, even more so like I'll notice little, you know, idiosyncrasies from production runs. And I will remember that product going out the door as it's packaged and shipped to our customers. And then, so if it comes back because a customer went to a three week, you know, a big mountain, you know, climb adventure in Alaska and the Kenai, I'm sorry, in like the Kashatna range or the Alaska range and to come back, uh, there's always a story to be told. Thankfully, you know, we have those materials, we have the expertise, we have the same machines that made it can repair it all. So, you know, at this point it's a no questions asked 
we we see it all. We we have the means to fix it. So long as we get that customer back and up and running in the same clothes, uh, that's good enough for us. That's really awesome and good to hear when brands stand behind their products like that. Now, over the years, what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about uh, really working on Northwest uh, Alpine? The biggest one for us is just trying to produce an honest product at an honest price with a lifetime guarantee uh, in a modern market of Amazon.com. Uh, sorry to call them out by name uh, with you know big online discounting sites with big pro deals and whatnot, which is fine. Uh, it's great. It's just a little bit more difficult for us to continue to produce a, a you know an honest product. And then push it out on weekly or you know monthly sales. Uh, we do a few sales a year. You know they're they're put out you know in 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 a strategic sense. And then uh, we just hope uh, at that point we can just you know put you know stay competitive for for the honesty of the product itself. That really is probably our number one um, ability. Into you know we don't have giant marketing and sales teams. You know to 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 really get out and push the product and and whatnot. We just want to be an honest, fair product for the honest, fair climber. That's awesome. Now, over the years, what would you say have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made? That is a really good question because uh, we make mistakes just like anybody else all the time. Most of it not in the finished product. Uh, it could be it, every. It seems to be and with high frequency. We always make silly mistakes that maybe we buy a machine and the machine has some issues we're not familiar of, or the the programming was made in a different language. Uh, I think about our laser cutting machine and uh, uh, which was made abroad, and the programming has a just myriad of spelling mistakes. And we've learned to adapt around it, almost learn it as a new language. So we have those little ones, and we but we learn quickly, we learn efficiently. And we, we move beyond it. Uh, one of the things that might have been thing is maybe not pushing too aggressively and, and developing a huge catalog portfolio. Um, but we don't want to take outside money either and be beholden to uh, shares or a board or anything else. Um, and there's no regrets from doing that. Could life have been in a different realm? Could be, but no regrets. We're, we're honest. We're in a great place now with great customers on a really nice, good growth path. And uh, I think we're pretty happy about that. That's awesome. Now, what, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor space and manufacturing or just really a business in general? I'm always kind of amazed. Uh, and I love this question because you know, I, I look and I'm always nice to see new food uh, or uh, small tech purveyors or bag manufacturers that, you know, just have an actually exceptionally good idea. Um, and like, you know, I could build a better bag. I can build a better energy bar. And, um, you know, the, I think of like so much saturation these days. The current consumer in the outdoor industry can easily pick and choose the best of any, you know, best of every class, and usually find it within their price point too, because there's so much good stuff out there, um, and that's just how big the market is, and how many brands are all kind of competing within it. 
to be purveyors in it. Uh, I would say I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm actually still inspired when I meet a you know a new uh, startup or a one one person seller that's working out of you know like a garage or a shared workspace and like, hey, I'm working on this really cool like crag bag. You know, like what do you think? I'm like, that's amazing. That's not on the market. If you can find that customer because you probably already are your own customer, then you can have a chance to create it into some sort of level of viable business. Not to say you'll be ending with a marketing and R&D team within two to three years, but you might. Um, and, uh, so I encourage everyone to do it. The, the more diversification and talent and interest continues to create a better industry. I think those are really good points. And yeah, you see it so much more now, especially just with the development of the internet, um, further along, like obviously it's been in its current form for a while, but the access of it is a lot better in the sense that like you don't need a programming degree or pay someone thousands of dollars to get a product online. You can use sort of these services that are super affordable and take an idea that you had that, you know, 10 years ago you would never have acted on. And now it's on Kickstarter or on a Squarespace site and you have your friends sort of helping promote it. It's interesting because there's just so many more ideas out there that just died just because it was so much harder to get it out there. And I just I find that so fascinating. Josh, you're 100 percent correct. You know, I, I when I talk to these people and I should have said it earlier, like you don't need to go to FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, New York City to learn how to like design and create patterns and tech packs to build something. Uh, just come up with an idea and get on uh, Upwork. You know, Upwork.com. There are people across the world that work within a budget to help you design and do your hard work. You can get onto one of the websites. They'll design a logo and bid for it for a hundred bucks. You can now do it with such ease, um, and it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. Of but course, <laughs> you, it, it, there's a now a global network of talent that will there's out there to if it's side hustle or full time job, whatever, to help you facilitate your needs to get there. You're exactly right. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it's, I'm so excited to see what what people do in the future, and that's one of the main reasons why we started Ready Ready Yeti to begin with, just to sort of help those smaller brands in the outdoor space. But where do you see Northwest Alpine in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? It's getting to a point now, and then we're almost cresting on a year and being our new factory. And with our new factories, had increased capacity. Increased capacity mean we've had a more literally footprint for our machines and operators. And we're now starting to see the higher volume coming off where we can now start getting a little more accessible to people. And we're not increasing price at all. We're, I mean, it's still competitively priced product. And at this point, too, we're going to start developing our own internal team um, as well to help manage and facilitate that growth. Um, now, don't get me wrong, we're, we're still not going to be, you know, in, in another year from now, uh, one of these behemoths. Um, we'd like to be. That'd be really cool. But again, we're going to take it steady and sustainably and uh, uh, with some, you know, with some grace. And uh, so we're going to see a really kind of a turning point because of what's happening right now after our factory move. These things kind of take a little bit of time when you're in the production cycle. And uh, so I think we'll start seeing an increased amount of SKUs. Uh, one of the cool things is we'll be able to get a little more responsive to market. We uh, are about to purchase a dye sublimation machine, and that allows us to print on 
you know, plain material with just literally infinity amount of colors and prints uh, and specials. So we'll be having a lot of cool singular one-off and retro throwbacks and we'll start, you'll see a higher degree of, um, a product release. And I think that's all going to be on those coattails. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so what's the best part about being a part of Northwest Alpine? It's pretty guilt-free. It's extremely guilt-free. And I think, you know, I'm lucky to have a lot of friends in all types of industries. Um, you know, I, I reside in Portland and, you know, it's a wealth of really great people, but they're all, everyone's developing crazy amount of, uh, AI technology or programming technology and coding. And, you know, there's a lot of stress to be had. They're also really in manufacturing. When you think about it, it's just in a kind of a different sense. Uh, I'm really proud at the end of the day, it could be an incredibly stressful day. And, you know, picking orders, repairing orders, shipping orders, customer service, sales. And then there's a whole factory there to administer, which is just full of like a machine will break down or thread didn't arrive in time, but the installation's ready and trying to do all of that. But at the end of the day, when the light goes off and the door is locked, like, you know, we're not selling snake oil. We're not selling, you know, um, useless tools. We're selling like heritage lifelong products to really honest people. And, um, it's hard to let go of that. It's by far the best thing about leaving at the end of the day or the week. Yeah, that's for sure. Did you have any idea growing up that you'd kind of be in in this position and doing this kind of work? No, <laughs> not at all. As, as a borderline millennial Gen Z, I don't know exactly what I am. Uh, I'm 35 to everyone out in your crowd there. But, you know, I graduated in 2007, the year before the recession with like just a bland undergrad degree that I thought was going to get me a comfortable, you know, office pushing job and, you know, lefts and rights took over in life. And, uh, you know, I, I think no one could imagine I'd be ending up on a selling floor, uh, at this point. And I think they're all still surprised and pretty, pretty stoked about it too. <laughs> it's kind of funny how that happens. It's just kind of life. <laughs> Exactly. Nothing like a dinner party, you know, going out with people my age and everyone introduces what they do. And it's like programmer, programmer, like graphic artist, graphic artist, creative content strategist, and like sewing factor. Everyone's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing the story of Northwest Alpine. And anyone listening to this before October 15th can actually enter to win some uh, product from Northwest Alpine along with a ton of other up-and-coming brands to so just head over to Red Yeti for your chance to win. And with that, Cameron, I want to thank, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and the story of uh, Northwest Alpine. Uh, Josh, it's been a pleasure. It's so good to chat with you and, your, and all of your followers. It's been wonderful. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.